Welcome back, everybody. We have our Money Badgers back with you today, talking about everything to do with money under the sun and investment clubs. So we're just going to get everybody going today. One of the things we want to do is a brief recap of last week. You remember we kind of had some really in-depth discussions about what's it like to get an investment club set up and going, what the importance of bringing diversity to the table can help your investment club. Uh, we did get some feedback from some of our listeners. Uh, we wanted to kind of put that preface out there. Uh, just to be clear, keep those lawyers at bay that we are not <laughs> experts by no stretch of the imagination. We don't claim to be. We wanted you to come along with this on this journey with us. So we felt full disclosure in the beginning uh, would be best. So we had a crazy, crazy week for those of you um, that were, uh, you know, waking up on the right side of the dirt at all. Know that it was a crazy time last week, and one would have thought that we would have seen a little bit more uh, volatility um, in the market. Uh, but as the market does, the market is going to do. So there is really um, no way of what investors will tell you is gaming the market. Um, most of your investments should be in for the long haul. You should be doing your research. Um, if you are somebody that has the passion for trying to game the market and be that super spectacular, amazing day trader, um, I don't know if my fellow uh, money badgers will agree, but this might not be the right podcast uh, for you. So again, we're going to have a quick presentation this morning. We're going to turn it over to Jeremy, for this week in business history. Hey, Vic, thanks. It's great to be here. The um, My assignment was find a stock that is travel-related, travel adjunct. Uh, I looked at a lot of the, uh, the classic, classic travel sites. Um, those, are, those are all, you know, valid companies and whatnot. And I came up with... Uh, one called Bookings Holding. Bookings now, Holding. Bookings Holding, right? This mm -hmm. company, it was formed in 1997 when the uh, Name Your Price travel site, Priceline.com, bought out Dutch-based Booking.nl, which later became Booking.com. And uh, in the 90s, they were experimenting with things like Name Your Price solutions on groceries, gasoline, uh, car rentals, uh, hotels, obviously, uh, all kinds of stuff. It, I mean, I feel like if they had, uh, been a little more savvy or a little like, uh, later, they could have been Amazon, you know, they were like, really, they were really like, uh, coming at it from a, from a, a crisp and unique angle. Um, so Jeremy, um, do they own any of the names that we would know as like a household name? Do they own like a price line or? Well, yes, they do, Bob. Oh, we've got on the list. We've got <laughs> booking.com, priceline.com, kayak.com, agoda.com, rentalcars.com, and open table, wow. which I've never heard of, but I don't know. I, just, I think that's uh, restaurant. I think uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that lived a short life. I think you made reservations and then <laughs> showed up, and yeah. Yep. Well, I suppose this it's like listening along. Uh, the it's uh, traded on the Nasdaq. The symbol is BKNG. I had to look it up myself here. Uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Price uh, it was two thousand one ninety six a share. It's yeah. a Nasdaq one hundred, Nasdaq listed. So it's a very uh, looks to be 
So it looks like it's been around for a while here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in 2000, they uh, they did an IPO focusing on uh, the the hotel thing, the Priceline mm-hmm. okay. kind of thing. They focused on that starting in 2000. They went public, and uh, they continued to acquire companies. And then on February 21st, 2018, they changed the name of the company from the Priceline Group to Bookings Holdings, and changed their code from PCLN to BKNG. And uh, I looked at maybe like 10 or 12 uh, various companies, and this was the only one that had a P over E that was in the positive. So I have a good feeling about it. I was going to say, so my, my question for you is, you know, when you're doing your, you know, you're, you're looking around and, you know, tapping back to the previous episode, you know, again, some of us are green. We kind of just threw Jeremy into the fire and said, here's a sector, go nuts. Um, so is, is like, so that price to earnings ratio, is that kind of something you keyed in on? Or was there anything else that jumped out at you? Um, <laughs> well, uh, making these picks? I was having a little chat with Bob and he said the P over E is the number one thing to look at. So that was the thing. I number one looked at. Don't know if I quite said that. Well, that's what I took out of it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sure. So, so I guess I would expand on that a little bit. And um, instead of calling it P over E, you can just call it PE ratio or um, price, price to earnings. Yeah, price to earnings. Usually, folks just call it PE. So, little. Okay. Little, All right. Yeah. Right. Learning the lingo. Absolutely, so, man. It's a process. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I would say this. So PE is not always the most important thing to look at. And again, I'm no expert. I could be completely wrong here, but I, I think PE is more important for a mature company. Um, if you're talking a younger company that is still in its honeymoon phase, its growth phase, it's perfectly acceptable for it to, to have a higher PE ratio or to have um, – they don't really go negative, but no PE ratio at all. Or uh, I guess what would you refer to that as? I, I don't even know, to be fair. Yeah. Like that's, that's again, more, more information for us to learn as we grow here. Yeah. So, so yes, it, it is more important when you're looking at like, you know, a blue chip stock or something like that. You, you want to make sure that they're around 20 times, um, earnings to um price so real price. quick um what's going to be an unofficial sponsor of the show thank you uh investopedia you can in fact have a negative price to earnings ratio oh fantastic yeah i saw a lot of those companies did have negative ratios and then i click over to uh, bookings holdings and i see bonk 65 <laughs> pe <laughs> holy cow that's the that's the ticket right there and again, um, you're, you're doing your research you're going to find something that is going to speak to you about that particular stock as bob was saying that you know more mature stocks are going to have more robust ratings and more robust because they just have more data to calculate off of and they have figured out how to make their investors happy right that's why they've been around for a while so when you're looking at doing research on on, on stocks um, pe is definitely one of the ratios um, that is going to be uh, good to look at but there's you know other ratios as, as well, you know, what's their liquidity, you know, what have they been paying dividends, you know, and then, you know, when you get into drill down into 
certain areas of the market, um, like tech stocks, startup, who's been around for a while. So there's there's a whole kinds of different ratios and slicing and dicing. And as you become a more experienced um, investor, you'll get like kind of like a gut feeling. You know, I feel like the guy that you know does the, puts your finger in the mouth and holds it in the wind is like, oh, it's coming from the north. <laughs> you know, you'll you'll get that kind of that sense when you start becoming more savvy with doing your research on stocks. You'll you'll just get a feel for it. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, oh, sorry, Bob, I was just going to say, you know, the, those around the finance circles, those deeper into investing, those figures and those numbers are called fundamentals. Um, and I'm just going to interject a segment here without putting it to a vote. Uh, at the end of uh, shows, when we introduce something like this, where we're talking about it, I'm going to do a small introduction called fun with fundamentals and just give a real quick rundown of like, you know, I'll, I'll do a brief explanation um, about what price earnings or PE ratio means. But again, we'll just, we'll, we'll, again, we're, we're, educating ourselves or educating others and you know so i think that'd be that'd be good to add yeah here's and a I, quick little info dump question you say a, a mature company is a company that started 21 years ago and changed their name four years ago like mature so now no say, right here's what i would say to that jeremy i would yeah. say i would say yes uh, especially for an in, in internet driven company um Here's the best example that I can think of off the top of my head where PE didn't really matter. Um, Amazon. Look at Amazon for several years, dozen years plus. Jeff Bezos very famously said, I don't care about profits, right? And that's where PE is generated. He said, I don't care about profits. I'm going to put every cent of Amazon back into Amazon. And really that was Amazon's growth phase, right? So even though Amazon was a maturing, very, very well-known company, they were, they were still growing, expanding, creating their empire while having no or negative PE for many, many, many quarters in a row. That's a good PE fact. Yeah, so I guess why I say that I mean, if you did just focus in on, on PE for, for your research here, um, there could be a different reason why their competitors aren't having, aren't generating profits right now. Maybe they are expanding. Maybe they've just invested in, in a new data center and, and built out infrastructure. Um, and that's kind of that next level of research that, that we can kind of go into. Good points. Yeah, absolutely. There's always so much more to learn. Jeremy, would you do you have any more information on the company or? Oh, uh, I did. Uh, I did copy the uh, uh, the bio of a Glendy Fogel, the uh, the CEO. He, uh, he started with the president as the president in January of 2017. Oh, actually, this kind of burnt, uh, runs into their uh, uh, kind of mission statement. And it's reads as such. Bookings Holdings, BKNG is the world's leader in online travel and related services provided to customers and partners in over 220 countries and territories through six primary consumer facing brands booking.com kayak.com priceline.com agoda.com rentalcars.com and opentable.com the mission of booking holdings is to make it easier for everyone to experience the world 
Very nice, sir. Very nice. Um, so I actually want to jump in here real quick. You know, Victor, we, we're again, we're starting to develop this this year, uh, this podcast and everything. And he, Victor accidentally claimed this section as Jeremy's. Uh, what was it? Uh, this week in business history, it was actually his presentation. Um, so, but before you actually, Jeremy is now our, our group historian. Um, you kind of want to talk about, you know, what, what Victor hinted at though before that was, you know, we got a lot of craziness in the world last week. And when, when there is, to avoid politics, let's just say the dust up at the Capitol, um, at the, at the, United, the seat of the United States government, the stock market continued to go up. You know, I think we've all in this this circle, we've lived through 9-11. We've lived through some dark days in American history, and the stocks typically react adversely. What, what, what do you think about that? What do you think about the, you know, the, the fact that the stocks finished the day up, I want to say like 400 points that day. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. It continued to go up that, that whole week. Um, I think they were kind of riding um, still that bump from the vaccine. I know we've had, if you looked... A little bit more recently, things are kind of trending back down, but I think we're still riding a little bit of that optimism um, that the economy was feeling with the vaccine and people getting vaccine and then actually just, and this is one of the things that it's the stock market. There's no crystal ball. It's, it's, it, it has its own mindset about it, but that was one of the things that could, could move the, the stock market is just that sense of optimism. People were like, there is a hope out there after how many nine months of nothing but you know how many cases keep going up how many deaths keep going up and then we hear that it's starting to get out and i think we're still riding a little bit of that um i think there was some some correction that was done today i looked right we had some negative numbers today if uh, i'm not mistaken monday was down i think today was up a little not a ton but you know uh, yep just a tick yeah uh, less than a percent up on the Dow, less than a percent across the board on the major three indexes or indices. Uh, but yeah, Monday was definitely a bit of a, hey, let's take some profit. Yeah, I, w I was really, really surprised. I thought when I flipped over to the financial channels that I would just see a sea of red after after watching what was going on at, at, at the Capitol. And I don't know. Um, I think you're probably right Victor, that um, the optimism and, and the news of, of the vaccine is still very much at the forefront of our minds and, and everybody's just ready to get back to normalcy and just excited that COVID can finally be behind us. Um, but I don't know. I still think the market should have reacted to that. That was a huge deal. Uh, that, that was the first time since 1814 mm -hmm. the Capitol building had been breached. That has not happened in generations. So I don't know. I, 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 it almost concerns me that it didn't react. That's, a, that's very fair. Yeah, because after 9-11, they, they closed the markets. And I was, I was waiting for them to actually close the market. Um, but if you think about the timing, it was about what three? I think it was like three p.m. Eastern when everything mm -hmm. started to get really kind of a little bit, and the market closed at four. So again, I, another excellent example of why it's literally impossible to to time the market. Sorry, I was just gonna say, you know, before the show, we were just talking with each other. I forget who made the point, but I, I think what also helped was the the fact that the government continued to function. Mm -hmm. After the dust settled, they went back in, did their jobs. It just kept that continuity like, oh, hey, that was a hiccup, but screw you, we're getting this done. 
Uh, and I think that's why we, the markets just kind of continued. I also kind of think this is just my crackpot theory that it has to do a lot with the uh, the younger traders coming in, the the Robinhood generation. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, that's a whole other episode, but I think there's a lot of new money coming into the markets that just keep pushing it forward. And the other thing that we have to really keep in mind too, what else happened last week and, and during that time, those $600 stimulus checks started reaching people's bank oh, accounts. Yes. I know that's when I got mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I bet all those things combined um, really is, sure. is probably what what protected the markets from seeing a very strong tumble. No, absolutely. And I, I completely forgot about stimulus money going out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, was it uh, what day, Thursday, the jobs numbers come out and it was the first uh, decrease in job losses since April, I believe. Mm-hmm. So at least that moved in the right direction, which always helps, mm-hmm. which always helps the markets. So, and then also there was also a fun little thing that happened uh, this past week with um, you know people want to talk about data privacy protection, First Amendment, blah blah blah. When uh, WhatsApp came out and updated their privacy privacy rules uh, because they're a Facebook company, I don't I didn't read them. I don't really use WhatsApp. But all of a sudden, people started to freak out. And then our friend, um, Elon Musk, sent out a tweet suggesting (laughs) people move to Signal, which is a different messaging app that I believe is encrypted. The problem is people read that, went on their favorite uh, stockbroker site, and then purchased a company called Signal and sent their price skyrocketing. What does Signal actually do? Do we know that that people... Not not the messaging app, but the company that folks jumped into. I'm assuming, totally guessing, telecommunications or something like that. Um, I can tell you momentarily. Stoplights. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think one of the things that is kind of one of the over arching themes here is is with any good investor, you got to keep your head above sand and you got to pay attention to what's going on in the environment, what news is coming out, what what cycles are, are happening. Is it an election year? Is it, you know, those types of things can influence the market, not saying that they necessarily historically do, but just being aware of, you know, who Elon Musk is. You know, if you're an investor, if you're seriously thinking about investing and you have no idea who Elon Musk is, Read a couple blogs, get a couple, some more information underneath your belt. Um, I know we keep saying that we're relatively new, but I think we all are at a level of information intake that maybe some of our listeners um, may want to aspire to get to that level. So just like just before I jumped on tonight, I was super geeking out. I was watching PBS, Tony Evers, State of the State. Right. I mean, that that's what I was. So just keeping yourself aware and keeping yourself tuned in to what's going on, because it is a capitalist society. So uh, small ripples, as Paul just mentioned, can turn into huge way, especially for uh, that company that Elon suggested. Yeah. So real quick, they're actually traded over the counter. Um, so they're not listed on the big markets. Uh, that's, again, another that's a future topic for uh, fun with fundamentals. Um, but they are in the sci- uh, scientific and technology instruments. Um, they have a technology that reduces signal detection delays associated with various physical sen- sensors. And they, they they settled at $10 a share at closing today with a, <laughs> a 52-week range high of $4.17 and $70.85. I think we can guess when that $70 came into play. <laughs> wow, that is... 
<laughs> that is ludicrous. That's one of those you catch lightning in a bottle, you make a few thousand dollars, and you cash out real quick. Kind of like uh, uh, a few months ago when Kodak shot way up because they got uh, they switched entirely what they were doing, and I believe they went into pharmaceuticals or something yep. with that. Um, and then all of a sudden they went from like nine dollars to forty. It was just insane. That is not the type of investing I try to shoot for. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> no, I'm sure. Yeah, and I have no idea what Kodak is at right now, but that was absolutely a flash in the pan. And if I recall, they jumped because they were given grant money to to research pharmaceuticals. And I think that grant money was actually pulled back. I, I There was an investigation and they found out it was warranted, but okay. we should also double check that. I believe, uh, so currently today it's at $8, it's down from its 52-week high of 60 Oof. Yeah, no, I believe I believe it was researched that uh, or investigated that the, that grant was given properly. Okay, so. that's good. Indeed. And and you know, I mean, Kodak is a classic American brand, so I would love to see them rise from the ashes. It's all about adapting. It's about finding that new way. You know, yeah. some companies can do it, some can't. And they famously had the patents and technology for digital cameras, but shelved it for decades because it was very lucrative to process film. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the same thing can be said uh, going back earlier than that for Zenith. Zenith TV, you know, they were one of the largest, if not the best manufacturer of tube televisions, you know, and then you you say Zenith, some people nowadays are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, is yeah. that? what is that? So again, it's really, um, you know, companies will try to game or ride the market just as individuals do as well. So always bear that in mind when you're doing some of your research as well out there, folks. You know, Zenith made a really excellent uh, all tube AM radio back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, you know, back when, when they were like solid and Bakelite and uh, could tune in a, a pin hair, uh, a hairpin tune. It was a uh, cool design, too. Nothing says like the warm scent of Bakelite. <laughs> Melted from the, the 12 tubes crammed inside. <laughs> Slowly, though. It's, that's just the ozone burning off. You're fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, Jeremy, was there anything else uh, for this? Do you? Do you? I'm sorry. I apologize. Do you have a, a, a presentation as well? For a, that was my presentation. Okay. Yeah, I, here, I, let's, I apologize. The, no uh, worries. Let's take a let's take a beat and then uh, you know introduce Jeremy's this week in business history. I'm excited for this. Oh, he's got his little noise, too. So, all right, I'll be quiet, Vic. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and introduce it. All righty. Up next is Jeremy, This Week in Business History. Hello. Just hard stop. <laughs> well, I don't, have my, um, I don't have my reverb machine anymore. Fair. Oh. This week, in 1955, on January 14th, the Chase Manhattan Bank was formed from the merger of Chase National Bank and the Manhattan Company. This one was kind of interesting because the Manhattan Company I'd never heard of. I've heard of Chase Manhattan until they merged with J.P. Morgan relatively recently. They were a thing that we all, you know, had heard of. <laughs> and uh, so basically, this Manhattan Company was formed in 1799 with the um the purpose ostensibly was to provide the city of manhattan with clean drinking water however uh they they used they took all the money they used the cheapest wooden pipes they could find 
and dug wells wherever it was convenient. Infected many uh, Manhattanites with uh, yellow fever in the, in the early 1800s. Right, so the company was formed by, uh, by Aaron Burr you know the guy oh. and uh and <laughs> you know we, the uh, thing with the yeah. guns we uh the peanut butter commercial really technically it was a milk commercial yes, it was yep fair <laughs> enough fair enough yes the things I remember from my childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> all you need is a sensible shake, a sensible <laughs> breakfast, and a, a shake for dinner, and you're good to go. I and he holds up his big slacks. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. R.I.P. It only took 30 minutes for this episode to go off the rails. Love it. <laughs> All right, well, continue. In any case, they raised $2 million, spent a fraction of that on cheap wooden pipes, and used the rest as collateral to start a bank that was based out of Manhattan. Um, and it was... What so, year was that in? Uh, 1799. Are you also calculating inflation on that? Damn it, that's exactly what I was going to fall. Yeah. It was a considerable sum. Uh, in modern money, that's forty-two million dollars today. Yeah, a hearty, a hearty starting balance on your uh, on your fledging bank in the new was world. That, was that government money? How did they get that money? I don't know. And my other question: mm-hmm. wooden pipes. Wooden pipes. I would have assumed lead. Yeah, you know, uh, lead's dangerous, man. Yeah, well, clearly yeah, wood is too. Know that in 1799. Right. I don't, they didn't even know that in 1970. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, anyways, uh, so the uh, the Manhattan Bank or the Manhattan Company it wasn't it was colloquially called the Manhattan Bank, but it was called the technical name was the Manhattan Company. They ended up getting their asses sued off in 1842 and had to help build the Croton Aqueduct, which is part of the city sewer system to this day. Hmm. They they did it right. They made them basically do it right. But in that uh, time, you know, they had uh, their their bank had taken off. They had there was some uh, there were some notable uh, board members from that first board, uh, such as Peter Stuyvesant. Um, he was one of the Stuyvesant kids, and uh, they were the uh, the the crooked uh, like Dutch mafia who owned New Amsterdam before the uh, the thing. And then uh, real estate guru, John Astor, uh, funk master, George Clinton, and (laughs) Hamilton character, Aaron Burr. Wow. Uh, I I really feel like we got to reach out to, um, they might be giants and see if we can get permission for 10 seconds of uh, Istanbul (laughs) with Constantinople. Oh, we have to, yeah. I'm sure they'd be cool with that. Oh, for sure. I'm I mean, we're losing weight on this project as it stands right now, so it's not like it's it's going to bring us a payday. <laughs> I'm just wondering what happened to the Dutch mafia. I mean, that sounds like a pretty yeah. They you know, sold the they sold the uh, the territories to uh, England or America, whatever. This was already at when that was all over already. I mean, the the Dutch really were ahead of the ball game with so many things. I I have a feeling, Jeremy, that so many of you this week in 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 business is going to involve the Dutch. 
Yeah, I love the Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Can, can I take it really off the rails for a second, or do we want to please, stay? Please, okay. no, it's fine. I got my finger where. where so two things because you you said because um, we started talking about lead pipes, and then you said aqueduct. It made me think of there's a theory of why the Roman Empire fell. And that theory is that for generations, they were using lead cookware. And because it was a very soft, malleable metal, they were able to make their plates and stuff out of it. And the entire uh, Roman population slowly got lead poisoning, and then their IQs lowered and lowered and lowered. And then that's what uh, led to the fall of the Roman Empire. You know, I've heard that somewhere before. I have no idea if that's true, but you said you just, that's uh, like a factoid, you know? I don't know if it's a factoid. I think it's a theory. That's interesting. Interesting yeah. for sure. Do you think there's anything in our environment that's making us all. Uh dumber undoubtedly there i'm sure there is I'm, they're plastic microplastic yeah. i heard that can really jack your body up and the it's in everybody bringing this podcast to life <laughs> <laughs> what? every generation has had that you know ddt uh lead i mean just go back every generation has it. asbestos exactly undoubtedly there's something we're all touching right now that is slowly giving us cancer. We're going to find out that this delicious carbonated water I'm drinking is just like the worst thing for me in like 30 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dude, I I love carbonated water. They were I, was just, I was just trying to price out a, uh, a soda stream uh, tank refilling kit so that I don't have to buy the expensive tanks. Not even just a soda stream, but the apparatus to, uh, in fact, <laughs> refill the cartridges. Nice. Absolutely, yes. Wow. Yeah, I they, mean, they ripped me off, honestly. That is a stock we should buy, soda stream cartridges. <laughs> they rip me off. Their, their uh, margin of profit must be humongous. Are they part of Keurig now? They, I feel like they might have merged. Well, they were in an Israeli company. I know when you buy... Your soda stream, the the one we bought, the lettering in the manufacturing was was actually, I think it was manufactured in Israel. Oh wow! Last I, I knew, but I haven't done any deep research. They're uh, they're actually uh, traded on Nasdaq under Soda S O D A. Okay, nice. Uh, What's their PE though? <laughs> Closing mm -hmm. price today was one forty three seventy one. That's feasible for us. Back to history. Oh, there's more. So, yeah, so we learned the history of Manhattan Company, right? Mm -hmm. It's an Aaron Burr's, like, revenge company that he turned into a bank and screwed over the general population of the, the plebeians of the of the city. Anyways, so there's also a bank called Chase National Bank formed in 1877 by John Thomas. He named it after U.S. Treasurer Secretary and Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Salomon P. Chase. I couldn't find why. I Maybe I ran out of time, but... So this random dude named his bank Chase Bank after, like, his hero? That's what I'm assuming. And um, uh, it, it trundled along, getting bigger until 1930 when uh, John Rockefeller bought a majority of the bank's stock. And it was a wholesale bank dealing with uh, prominent financial institutions and clients such as uh, General Electric, RCA, and uh, other, you know, members of the oil industry, Standard Oil, ExxonMobil, and uh, lots of other Rockefeller holdings. And so when they did the merger, this is a fun little thing. Uh, Chase was humongous. Manhattan Bank was middling. 
Aaron Burr had written in the original charter that the Manhattan Company had a clause allowing it to have unanimous consent of shareholders for the bank to be taken over. So the deal was structured in reverse so that Manhattan Bank technically took over Chase Bank, even though it was a much smaller company. Hmm. Hmm. That was, yeah, that was interesting, right? You don't see stuff, stuff like that happening very often. And so Chase Manhattan, today's week, this week, in today's history, in business. Nice fact, Jeremy. Good work. Thank you. Uh, you know what bank name I always found very funny? <laughs> what? The Chevy Chase Bank. And it is absolutely <laughs> a real thing. Yeah, it really? Yes. So I wonder, if they're, I wonder if the Chevy Chase Bank is connected to Chase Manhattan. AKA JP Morgan Chase. <laughs> that that was uh, not in the scope of my research. Nor should it have been. <laughs> my God, you did enough. All right. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for that week in history. Learned about the Dutch Mafia, how a reverse business structure that is not ordinary can work out. Um, so thank you for that. Look forward to our next week in business his- history. So we're going to turn it over to Paul. All right. So this, you know, last week when we were finishing up our episode, uh, you know, I volunteered to go first uh, in our first, you know, picking of a, a sector and a, a stock. And I, it's one that I'm, I'm actually personally invested in outside of this group. So I know I've known a little bit about it. So I knew it was going to be like an easy, easy way for me to intro, intro it into the show. And again, as we're trying to build out our portfolio and decide how we're going to proceed, you know, we've got three more weeks of people presenting stocks. I, I thought this is just a good entry level, low price uh, stock. And the company I'm going to talk to you today about is Energy Transfer LP Common Units Representing Limited Partner Interests. That's a mouthful. Um, for, it will just be called Energy Transfer from this point on. I want a ticker. The ticker, my friends, is ET. Well, that's much easier. And it's fine. <laughs> you buried the lead. <laughs> the ticker is ET. We go, I'll call it energy transfer or ET. It's traded on the NYSE. It is obviously in uh, energy, hence the name, as well as oil and gas and related equipment and services. Um, so at the time of this recording, I closed today at $7.14. Uh, and since P, uh, PE ratio was brought up quite a bit, it's sitting between 10 and 15. Um, as there's, there's a little bit more into the weeds with this one because it is a traded partnership versus like a true stock like a company. Uh, so finding that exact information was a little rough, but I found it. So what do they do? Well, they are, they, they transfer energy as the name calls out. Specifically, they own 90,000 miles of pipeline within the United States and into Canada, uh, I believe Canada, uh, which transfers 3.6 million barrels of crude daily. Now that accounts for 30% of the US oil and gas transport. So quite the hefty, hefty uh, workload when it comes to our of our you know our nation's consumption of oil and gas now you're saying thinking to yourself paul well what about electric vehicles you've said on the previous episode you own tesla isn't like aren't electrical vehicles the future absolutely i i think that they are but here's what i like about the stock is first of all let's just look at like what what powers so when you're when you're making an electric vehicle where do the materials come from to build the batteries and to build that steel it's being mined. It's being drilled out of the ground. It's being hauled in big trucks and trains. Like there's still a big demand for oil, gas, etc. And the adoption of 
like EV, EV vehicles is not going to be nearly as fast in the third world country, developing countries, as it's going to be here, you know, and say in the United States or in Europe. So there's still going to be a demand for a while when it comes to oil. So yeah, I, I, I'm comfortable going long on energy transfer. I'm comfortable going long on some of these oil oil related stocks. And even earlier, I believe it was this week, oil prices cracked 50 a barrel for the first time in a long time. I should have actually looked that up before we started recording. And just to piggyback on what you just said about electric vehicles, Paul, only 26% of the world's oil is used in automotive, so gasoline. So that, right. that leaves 74%, and that demand is absolutely just going to continue to still go up with manufacturing needs, plastic, um, other forms of transpa- transportation like you mentioned. Indeed. And um, it's not just crude oil and gasoline. It's like natural gas that's used in these pipelines as well, which is heats homes and powers vehicles and does so many things. So mm-hmm. there, there's, there's multiple things that go into it. Now, full disclosure, I bought into the stock over a year ago. I've increased my holdings probably quarterly. And when I bought it, I used a simple stock screener and didn't really do much inf- much diving into it when I bought it. Because uh, I looked at it purely at dividends. I was going full Warren Buffett when I started investing, just value, low price, high dividend yield. And at the time, the dividend yield was about 15%, which is an absurd dividend yield. Yep. Right now, and I've got this listed as a pro, the dividend yield is 8.93% as of today. So that's a pretty, still a pretty substantial dividend yield. Now, again, we talked about price to earnings. We talked about growth stocks a little bit that uh, the one that Jeremy brought up does not pay a dividend. So we'd be buying it purely, like buying it now and sitting on it as travel picks back up, as more and more people get vaccinated to watch that grow. Whereas energy transfer, this is going to be a long play. We're going to collect some dividends. Uh, We can debate dividend reinvestment or just taking that cash and investing somewhere else. Uh, But watching that slowly grow and then, you know, getting that dividend income. Um, so the analysts, uh, through, I, I trade personally on E-Trade, so that's kind of where I did a lot of my research today, uh, for this show. Um, and I, to be fair, I'm doing more, I did more research for this show than I did before I bought it. Um, and I'm kind of glad I did like buy it based on some of this research. Um, the price target is about between anywhere from nine to $12, uh, based on what the analysts are saying. They do have a very strong cash flow. Uh, historically, you know, despite the downturn, their cash flow has remained the same. There's a lot of fees that go into their business, more so than selling of the gas. They're transporting it. Um, and their revenue is bouncing back quite well. So quarter one of 2020, they reported $11.6 billion in revenue. Uh, quarter two, with the pretty much everything tanking, they dropped down to um, $7.3 billion. But by Q3 of last year, they were already up to 10 and a half, which actually beat analyst expectations of 10.3 billion. And they're expecting to you know, have uh, their next earnings call, I wanna say is in February. Um, so again, they've, they've done really well at rebounding. Um, and again, it's yes, it's, a, it's an energy stock, but it's not like mining and selling that energy. Mm-hmm. And of course, with everything, there's cons. Now, some of the cons of energy transfer is they do have a high amount of debt. They are teetering on a, on a higher um, ratio of debt 
but they actually they've the new management that went in earlier this year is doing a lot to address it remember when i said a year ago i found this this stock at 15 percent dividend payout they cut the dividend in half and they did that specifically and it's not often you could say it's okay that you cut it in half because you're still getting a hell of a payout but they did that specifically to channel funds into paying down debt um, as well as they, they got just a ton of assets. Again, like they're, they're they're sitting well when it comes to assets to back up their debt. And with with these, they're they're doing some restructuring. Again, cutting that disbursement, it's not great. As somebody who found it, thinking I was going to get, I forget what it was, maybe sixty, uh, thirty cents a share uh, quarterly. Now it's fifteen, but still fifteen cents. Like did um did people flee the stock when you? When the, when they cut the dividend, um, there was a little bit of a drop, but not terrible. Not more than uh, the the March twenty crash. Okay, and, and, and I'll tell you, man, what you said eight percent, eight point six percent dividend. Uh, eight nine three. Yep. That is still substantially higher than the sector. I, I think mm-hmm. utilities, it's average seven, uh, three point seven percent. So, yeah, even in their own sector, they're high, really high. Right, for sure. And like, you know, they're, they're, when you dive into some more of those fundamentals, you can find flaws. Like if you look at like their profit margin for the sector, it's not as high. But again, they're, they're trying to, they're making strides in the right direction to tackle that debt. And with their, oh, and another thing when it comes to the debt, they are cutting their CapEx projection spend down 50% from 2020 for 2021. Yeah. I, I actually didn't write down the exact number. Uh, but I want to say, let's say it was three billion. They're cutting it to one point five for twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. So again, they're 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 reducing what they're spending. They're taking funds that would have been sent out to the investors, unfortunately. But again, they're they're shoring up their financial stability, and by doing that, I'm comfortable keeping my money in there personally. Mm-hmm. And again, based on reading some of the, these analysts, with the moves that they're making. There should also they should actually have a budget surplus by the end of twenty one, nice. for the first time in years because of what they're doing, and even if prices stay flat and the market stays flat, they're going to continue to creep up in surplus budget over the next three years. The three year outlook is looking pretty good. So again, yeah, my my short term like look at this great stock that I found for, I want to say it might have been ten dollars when I bought it with. 60 cent payout on on stock on dividends i'm still very happy i re-upped numerous times and like i said in the last year uh when it dropped to as low as i didn't buy it at the the march low because i didn't know because i'm not trying to time the market i wanted things to calm down a little bit um I, but i want to say i bought it at five six and like five six and 650 and so it just keeps it's it's slowly battling back so again oh and there's this is where this is another con of this particular stock, and I forget the quote. It was like if you if you only invested it, like it, and it was in our Slack channel. It was like if you only invested in companies, or if you if you looked at all companies that were evil and threw them out, whatever. And I'm not saying this company's evil by any means, but one of their big projects we all know as the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, is that the Keystone Pipeline? Is that the same thing? Uh, oh, that's a valid question. This is the one that went through Standing Rock Reservation. Yeah, okay. I think um, that is. So, and for a moment there, it was shut down by the feds because the whole, like, there's a permitting process that w- wasn't followed specifically. Mm-hmm. 
now it's back into production as they review it. They're, they got a, a stay that said they can, in fact, keep using it and keep producing as that goes through like the whole process, which actually stays, the estimates are it could take two years. Um, so again, is that a company we as a group feel comfortable investing in given, and I didn't even know about the, and again, that was my poor research when I bought it. Cause again, I just straight at dividends, but something to consider because a lot of people would call that a con is the, the social and the economic uh, impact to the companies that we invest in that they may have. That yeah. being said, one more thing I forgot. They also have no. Oh, this yeah, is actually, more. <laughs> no, 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 actually a pro that I skipped over. They've got billions of dollars in project backlogs that they're working on getting caught, caught up with. So more and more revenue is going to keep coming in. Mm-hmm. So again, there's there's a lot to go with it, a lot to think about with that company. Um, but yes, you know we'll we'll put our our recommendations in our in our Slack channel for us to look at and debate. But again. I'm that I it's performing well um, in my portfolio. Um, let's see. I'm just kind of just quickly glancing at. They're up almost 5% today. Yeah. No, it was a good day today for sure. So I'm looking at Paul, their, um, their chart for the past 10 years. What the heck happened in 2015? Do you know? Um, let me bring that up. I let's see. They were at thirty-four, and then they plummeted down to about six and chains. Uh, hey, wasn't there a day around that that year they had to like pull the emergency stop lever mm-hmm. on, on the stock market? I thought I remember that happening. Well, but they never really recovered after that 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 fall. Now, some charts can can be misleading too. There there could have been a split that's not represented in this chart. Um, I'm not sure, um, but yeah, they just they they went from 34 in in May uh, 2015 down to five dollars fifty cents in February 2016, and then they slowly crept back up. And then, like you said, that the 2020 fall really hit them again. They went down to five and change. Yeah, real quick looking here, I'm not seeing anything like. Uh, there was some merger talk back then. Uh, some of the segments they were operating in at the time were underperforming. Yeah, so it looks like there was some takeover talk and prices kept going down and whatnot. So that, that plays into it as well. Yeah. And I think that's where the whole LP, common units, limited partners piece comes into play. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't go that deep, like that far back into their history. But yeah, oh, yeah. No, it's certainly worth us looking at a little bit more for sure that revenue too just their 2018 revenue 54 billion they're uh they've got money coming in that's for sure yeah for sure but on the trade um looking at uh, where did that chart go well we, we're not doing a video so i can't really share it um <laughs> but there is you know a, a good bar graph that showed their revenue and their their income and like it's just very you know some some ups some downs some ups some downs just but all pretty steady outside of again the crash with oil and everything this year but it's already back up to nearly where it was yeah yeah it is i think you bring up some really like good points about research that we haven't touched on yet in the investment club is the social responsibility aspect of, of companies 
Um, I think when you're getting together with your whoever you might be inviting in or a group of people is, um, I don't want to say that everybody has to be on the same page with every decision. That's why you should have clear outlines when you're forming your investment club. So people get a, a chance to say, you know what, I'm voting no, I don't want our, our money to go into that. And then the majority will win. As long as people are, are okay with that and you're not just bringing stocks in that you might find out a year from now, like, oh man, that was, you know, running a pipeline through my ancestral land. And now I have to go home and face the music that I own this stock. So yeah, that's great, great research, Paul. I mean, and I think that's what a lot of people do is they will key in on one aspect of a stock that they really like, or uh, think about it as a particular company, right? You're, you're actually investing in a company when you're buying a stock. Do a little bit more of the research, you know? And again, it, it really is just the pleasure of the investment club um, that you're doing. Um, and think about, you know, how you're, there's so many different ways of getting the information out there. There's, you know, many, many different companies that will be happy to give you a bunch of information with the hope of you using their brokerage service. So, um, and then with Wikipedia and then just doing just a little bit of, of research, and even just on the company's websites page, um, just do your, your research on, on your companies. And I guess, again, I think you will hear throughout the course of this episode as well is that just educating you all on how to do this research, being comfortable with it. Um, I know Paul fell into the trap that I did. I wrote down uh, uh, X capital. So I, I think you were talking about capital expenditures and you said CapEx. So we'll, we'll try not to drop <laughs> any of those little terms. And then, Sal, I, and then you, know, you dropped uh, Mr. Buffett's name with uh, some people might be thinking Old Country Buffet, but that's not him. <laughs> so again, those are just things that you, we've just kind of acquired, um, just generally getting our toes into the into the water. And you will get there as a club member and your fellow club partners will bring you along and you'll all learn from, from each other as you go. But just research is, is key if you're going to be bringing something in your portfolio, especially when you're recommending it to your your fellow colleagues. You want to be able to stand by this. I, I'm, I'm excited to look more um, into this stock based on what, what, what Paula said. I'm interested to kind of find out uh, maybe what happened back in 15. I think it might have something to do with the protest on the, the land. Maybe people got wind that that was the company that um, so those are all things that are that you can do some research on and, and make that decision um, on your own. So great research on that, Paul. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Like that's, you know, just some of those points. That's what's going to make the uh, the vote, the voting map voting episode of the show each month fun is when we are trying to decide, you know, the the socioeconomical issues behind some of these stocks or how passionate somebody feels i think that's going to make sure for some some good fun conversations and spirited debates absolutely for sure and and you know i really wonder like you we mentioned earlier robin hood and you know the robin hood is really ushering in a, a younger generation of of traders how much more is the social economic impact how much more important is that to them than you know the, the previous generation or, or our current generation um my gut feeling tells me a heap of a lot and they are very much going to invest on the company that is doing the right thing that has the 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 carbon neutral certificates and 
you know, I, I've shared this before. I think in, in, in meat production, for instance, right? I think about 10 years ago, organic became the thing, right? Everything became certified organic. Um, I really, really feel like in, in the near future, the next food craze or the next thing that pushes the food markets, specifically meat, is going to be carbon neutral meat. I, I, I don't know if that's even a thing yet, but I just feel like that is going to be a very strong buzzword in the future. If, if companies can claim that they are carbon neutral, um, I just I, I really think something like that is going to drive the next um, the next generation of companies. Yeah, I think I think you might be honest on that. If you look at a lot of Amazon's um, feel good advertising, um, mm -hmm. if you will, it's like they're saying how much money they're spending on becoming zero carbon, which I think is is, is a great um, thing to be aware of. Is just kind of sniffing out those trends. You know, if, if Amazon's talking about it, you better believe that there's going to probably be six other companies, if not companies in their supply chain, that they're going to be saying, hey, you want to sell on Amazon, where's your certificate? You know, yeah. definitely and something to think about as well. I even see it going a level further than that, too. Like, um, look at a box of Triscuits right now. Right now, you have two options. You can buy Triscuits or you can buy organic Triscuits in the store, right? I bet in five years you're going to see a third option that's a green box that says carbon neutral Triscuits or carbon neutral Oreos. Maybe it'll be a uh, burlap sack. You know what I mean? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. A new packaging that's invented, which probably is already in the works. That's completely biodegradable, like within mm -hmm. a month. Yeah, there you go. Oh, dude, the Sun Chips, they had it. 10 years ago, but the bag was like a hundred decibels. It was crazy loud. You could throw the bag in the sink and watch it melt. But how you get around that a hundred percent recycled cardboard, you know, something. Mm -hmm. something oh, there like you that. go. Yeah. Or you just plant a seed and it grows your Triscuits. I don't know. What else? Yeah, right. <laughs> Triscuit tree. <laughs> I want my Triscuit tree. Got a few I want types. rosemary parmesan. <laughs> Those only grow in Italy. <laughs> We've got a few different uh, products to look into here if they don't exist already. We're claiming giving you uh, free, free, trademarkable products here for you guys. Right. I've seen in on the, the environmental. You also have to think about the, the social aspect. You know, how do they treat their employees? Um, we all heard the, you know, crazy Walmart stories of employees being locked in overnight. You know, uh, we heard about, you know, diversification um, of, of the board. And, and this group is a, is a little guilty of that. We don't have a female represented. Uh, we're, we're aware of that as well. So, again, the social and the environmental uh, impact. I think that, Paul, you're right on. I think the generation that's coming up is going to be definitely more mindful of those types of things. They understand voting with your dollars more so than any other um, generation. And I think for two real key in, in, in influencers have been, um, some of them are coming of the age, they went through the great recession, right? They've seen a lot of that. And then just, it's the information age. There is just so much more information. And not only that this information hasn't been available before, because a lot of this information has to be reported to the stockholders, 
in annual reports, just the ease that you can get the information now. I don't have to go down to the library and crack open, you know, the Wall Street Journal and do my 10 years worth of stock. You can, somebody's collated, filed that and put it in a report for you already. So the ease of information, and then now I think we're coming of age of um, how to actually apply that information for decision making. And for God's sakes, you don't even have to go to your computer anymore. You just tell your <laughs> Google Assistant. I mean, really, that's where your search can start at this point. It's it's the age of information is a wonderful thing. I mean, I know that's a totally different episode, but I think we can all get extremely excited about the information-based economy and what that means. Great. I think that is an excellent note to end on for this episode. We're just kissing up on an hour that we've been chatting with you all today. So I'm going to let Paul take us home. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for listening. I want to thank uh, Jeremy for doing some research this week and picking out a stock. Now we don't have everybody on the show this week. Again, we, we said we're going to break it down into smaller like breakout episodes, if you will. Um, so I don't know who's going to pick what for what they're going to present next week, but you can bet we're going to have two more uh, different sectors presented as well as a couple of different, different changing opinions and views and Jeremy's this week in business history um, as well. Um, so, yeah, again, thank you, everybody. Uh, Bob, Jeremy, anything before we uh, we call this an episode? I'm good. No, thanks. It's been it's been a wild ride, and I'm glad to have gone on it with you guys. Excellent, excellent. And just remember, everybody, the markets can stay irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Think about that one for a little while. This week's show is brought to you by Powell Motors. Whether you are going near or far, Powell makes a pow, pow, powerful car. Welcome to Fun with Fundamentals. I'm your host, Paul Woodward. Now, earlier in the show, we talked a lot about price to earnings ratio. And I know we're going to have a lot of newer people into the investing world listening to the show, so why don't we just take a real quick look at what that means. To quote our friends over at the Investopedia, the price to earnings ratio is one of the most widely used metrics for investors and analysts to determine stock valuation. The P-E ratio helps investors determine the market value of a stock as it compares to the company's earnings. In short, the P.E. shows that what the market is willing to pay today for a stock based on its past or future earnings. A high P.E. could mean that a stock's price is high relative to its earnings and possibly overvalued. Conversely, a low P.E. might indicate that the current stock price is low relative to earnings. The P.E. ratio is calculated by dividing the market value price per share by the company's earnings per share. So first up, what's the earnings per share? Again, sticking with our friends at Investopedia. Earnings per share is the amount of a company's profit allocated to each outstanding share of a company's common stock, serving as an indicator of the company's financial health. In other words, earnings per share is the portion of a company's net income that would be earned per share if all of the profits were paid out to its shareholders. EPS is used typically by analysts and traders to establish the financial strength of a company. So let's take a real world example. Um, very common stock out there is AT&T. At the time of recording this episode, AT&T closed the day at $29.29 per share, and its most recently reported earnings per share was $1.52. So what we do is we take that $29.29 divided by $1.52, and that gives us approximately $19.26. So that means AT&T is trading at about 19 times its earnings. Is that a good ratio? Is that a bad ratio? That is open to interpretation. There are many different viewpoints out there on what is a good or bad P.E. ratio, 
And as you do your research and learn more and more around stocks, you'll figure out what numbers you're comfortable with when it comes to P.E. ratio, earnings per share, and any other pieces around the fundamentals that are reported. Stay tuned for next time when we dive into another topic in Fun to Fund Fun with Fundamentals. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. The Money Badgers Associates podcast is created and produced by Money Badgers Associates, LLC, edited by Jeremy Kaleski. And while we like to think we know what we're talking about, the Money Badgers Associates podcast is for entertainment purposes only. As always, please consult a financial advisor before making any financial decisions.